Tuesday afternoon. He's Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Together we bring you Sports Talk yet again. Adrian's pumped. After, after all, he went to a concert last night. That's exactly right. Got How my, was it? It was fantastic. I was... Uh, I was a little worried, Steve, because we had floor seats, and then I, I before we went, I, I don't know if you saw on social media, but everybody was posting the lines outside the Haskins Center. We talked about it before the end of the show because you were saying that you were looking at getting there later because the lines were getting bad. Well, it got even worse Oof. since we uh, left off on the show. Uh, the line wrapped. It almost went from the Haskins Center all the way to that parking lot where the old Village Inn was, like I know. way past that area. And then there was a second line that went all the way from the Haskins center on the east entrance all the way down to the uh, the practice field for oh. the UTEP football team so uh, there were a lot of lines we managed to go a little late we didn't wait too long in the line uh, it was a excellent performance we were right up close we had uh, like I was saying we were uh, down low on the floor and I thought there were going to be a lot of people on the floor but they actually didn't sell that many floor seats so wow. we were standing the whole time it cool. was awesome did you miss any of the first two acts we missed a little bit of the second act so we missed the first opening act for sure but then the second act we barely made it toward the end uh and then we saw the last two for sure and, and it was awesome that's but that's tough i mean you know you show up at a show you want to see all of it and and i guess you would have had to probably get there by four o'clock if you really wanted to make sure you got the whole show in oh you're exactly right i feel like you had to go super early to try to get the whole show in. but it, the the amount of sh- uh, time we were there was probably perfect i mean we were there from like nine to midnight cool. so it wasn't that long and yeah it was a great show there was a ton of people last night it was, it was almost I, I think it was close to a sellout that's awesome. Happy you had fun and enjoyed it. You have a movie review for us coming up on the show today, right? Yes, that's right. Point break. I'm ready. We also are going to bring Track Talk back today. So if those of you that have listened to this show over the years know that I broadcasted live from Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino for a long time. We broadcasted live racing. We used to go on Fridays, on Tuesdays. Eric Alwyn was kind of a fixture of this show. Haven't done it much the last three, four years, but we're going to start uh, doing weekly Zoom chats at 5 o'clock and give you a little Track Talk. So Eric Alwyn will join us to begin our five o'clock hour today, and excited about having Eric on the program. Yeah, hey, it's always great when we got to when we get to talk uh, horse racing here on the show and all the great things that they do out there at Sunland Park. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the five o'clock hour. Absolutely, I am too. Um, and that's going to be our lone guest today because John's going to join us coming up in about an hour and forty five minutes when he originates from uh, the Holiday Inn Sunland Park West uh, on the west side of El Paso, getting ready for UTEP basketball with. Kevin Baker and Joe Golding, and he'll have a lot to talk about from 6 to 7. But in the meantime, our first hour, we left it open, no guests, and there's a reason for it. A lot of stuff dropped today. UTEP's football schedule for 2022 dropped. CUSA then announced that they're still planning to stay with 14 schools, and that's uh, much to the chagrin, I would say, of Southern Miss, Marshall, and Old Dominion. You feel like that's going to be a legal battle that could very well be happening uh, over the next few months, as we will see if the departure in June will happen as Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss hope for. So um, you know, that's really what I want to get to to kind of kick things off here on the show today. So uh, let's start first with the legal battle, okay? Because I'm, I'm putting this story up on the website at 600ESPNLPaso.com. Adrian, essentially the, the story behind this is there is no uncertain terms that is keeping – um, Conference USA bound to a, um, you know, I guess a an early, I don't know how to describe this, but let's just put it this way. Three schools want to leave in June. 
Conference USA says, no, you got to leave in June of 23. And the schools say, hey, there is nothing uh, that shows that if we leave early, we have to pay more. So we're just going to get out early. And the league says, no, we're, we're making sure that you um, stay like you're supposed to. So that's where the battle is going to be right now. And that's where the line is drawn. CUSA said they're going to fight to keep the 14 schools together for one more year. And Marshall, Old Dominion, and uh, Southern Miss say, the heck with that. We want to join the Sun Belt next season and get a jump on things. So ultimately, we're going to find out soon enough if it's going to be a 14-team league or an 11-team league next year. Yeah, and the two games that will have a direct impact for this UTEP uh, schedule that was released today, uh, you look on October 15th, their home game against Southern Miss, and you look October 22nd, their road game against Old Dominion. Those are the two games that I'm looking at right now, yep. Steve, that could be affected if this goes you know, as planned as these schools want to depart from for the Sun Belt, and I'll be honest, Steve, it seems like they have a lot of motivation to leave Conference USA as early as possible. If there are exit fees, it seems like they're willing to at least negotiate on this. Right. I'm not sure what Conference USA is waiting on right now. So here's my biggest thing, okay? And I, I know we say that there's two games that are affected, but think about this. The whole league is affected because ultimately, if they lose three schools, they're going to have to redo the schedule again. Because everybody's going to have problems. So you got to figure that if CUSA, I mean, God, if they, you know it would be so CUSA to fight this, lose this, and then have to come up with a schedule in a matter of weeks because ultimately they don't uh, they don't get it done. Yeah, and you understand how much planning goes into these trips. I mean, it takes so long to plan these trips. And for coaches, they start now. When the schedule is released, they want to get all their travel situation done. They want to get all this done now. So imagine having to regroup whenever this comes to, you know, comes to a close. Imagine having to regroup in the summer, late spring, whatever it may be. But here's my thing too, okay? The Sun Belt's probably telling these three, hey, listen, this is your deadline. If you don't get out of Conference USA by this date, we're moving ahead with our 2022 league schedule because we can't wait for you to try to determine what you're going to do. So I think that's also the key here is, you know, the Sun Belt's been quiet because they don't want to ultimately get sued by Conference USA, but they've got to be given some kind of drop-dead date to the uh, three schools and say, if you don't get your stuff together soon enough, hey, guess what? We're going to just wait for 2023. We can't keep doing this. Could this get ugly? Could uh, the Sun Belt go out and say, they, okay, we're going to release our schedule and it'll have Southern Miss there and oh my Old God. Dominion there? And now it's just a staring contest between both sides. You saw what Marshall well, said today. They're, they're frustrated at this and say they want no pl- uh, part of being in Conference USA. But if the Sun Belt does that, then all of a sudden could CUSA fire back at the league and now add them to potentially a lawsuit. That's the only thing right now because, again, technically the schools are supposed to wait until 2023 to leave. That was the original agreement. Now they want to leave early. Well, if the Sun Belt accommodates their request and builds them into the 2022 schedule, Sun Belt is just as guilty as the three schools are in this whole issue. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Could this so get I don't, super messy? I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think... Why would the Sun Belt want to mess with CUSA like that and then put themselves into the legal fight? That I just don't see. The Sun Belt has nothing to gain. I mean, they're fine without them. They're, they're, obviously, they feel like they're improved with them. But I don't really think the Sun Belt's attitude is, hey... We wanted, we want, we've, we've got your backs. We're going to fight the CUSA with you. I don't think so. I think they're probably going to say, 
Get your stuff together. And if you don't figure it out by a certain date, hey, we'll see you in 2023. Well, who knows? Maybe the Sun Belt was planning, or they were planning throughout this time. I mean, this is all purely hypothetical. And, and being, oh, you're making it, the Sun Belt that to be pretty evil. That's right. I like that. Yeah, oh, but, but what if they were planning right now as if they were going with James Madison and Marshall and Old Dominion and Southern Miss? What if they planned ahead and, and had kind of a, a mock schedule like Conference USA has right now? And, and they have that in the works, too. But they don't need them as bad. They really don't. I mean, football is a good league without them. I mean, they'll be probably better with them because Marshall's a strong school. And I mean, really, you know, Old Dominion and and Southern Miss right now they're nothing. But they like Marshall. That's that's probably the big ad here, which is why Marshall's leading the forefront when it comes to trying to get out of this league. So, okay, uh, explain this to me. So, if if um, these teams want to join the Sun Belt, is there a fee to join that uh, that they would get or have to pay or anything like that, or does the Sun Belt actually pay these teams? Like, how, how does that break down? Like, what is the gain for the? There's Sun Belt a buy-in here? and an exit fee. So, all okay. three of these schools are going to have to buy in. And pay out. So could could there be that financial motivation behind the Sun Belt to do something, even if there isn't? And the Sun Belt said, "Okay, well we'll stand we'll stand behind on this." If you're Marshall, if you're Southern Miss, or if you're Old Dominion, and you're trying to sell tickets and you want to get into the Sun Belt quick, then you have the sense of urgency to get out of Conference USA. It's fascinating, isn't it? It is truly oh, yeah. fascinating. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, folks. I am really interested to see how this thing shakes down when it's all said and done. I really am. So that's it's our lead today. That's definitely the big story right now is we've got uh, ultimately a showdown in the OK Corral between Judy McLeod and, uh, and, and Conference USA and everybody else that's a part of, of um, the teams looking to leave right now. And, man, it is good. It is really, really interesting. That's to say the least. I mean, we'll see what happens when it's all said and done and how this thing shakes out. But um, I don't know who's going to win when it's all said and done. I, I really I really don't know. I would like for Conference USA to come up with the resolution now because, I, you know, if these teams don't want to be in Conference USA, I'd say let them go. Let them walk. I mean, what is Old Dominion and Southern Miss really bringing to the table in Conference USA? Marshall has the tradition. They, they, do. they do it in football and basketball, and they have some uh, spirited games against the minors in all sports, really. But I, I look at Old Dominion and Southern Miss, and those are, those teams aren't real valuable. Let them walk. No. Let, let Conference USA manage with an 11-team uh, uh, season. And I mean, in terms of Losing schools, I mean, they don't really – Marshall for football is probably the biggest loss, but all three of those schools give you nothing for basketball. I mean, Old Dominion's fine, but they're not a perennial powerhouse in basketball since they've been in Conference USA. Southern Miss sucks, and Marshall's just average, mediocre at best. So really, if you think about it, you lose Marshall, that the biggest hit is football – other than that, the other six schools that are leaving, that's the big one that's really going to be uh, hitting Conference USA uh, in the groin. Yeah, and, and locally, no minor fan will have any sort of attachment toward Marshall because None. UTEP hasn't played Marshall since 2010. So, in football, that's right. Yeah, so it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, if you haven't played the Thundering Herd in forever, who you don't miss with what, uh, what you haven't played against uh, for all this time. And they're not playing them again this year. So they're not right. on the schedule. They're the only school that's not on the schedule of those three. So anyway, all right, and that's, that brings us to the schedule. So now, my first glance at the 2022 UTEP football schedule, when I looked at this for the first time, my first reaction was November is going to be an absolute killer for this football team. 
I don't know how they're going to get through those final uh, three games, really four games when you look at Rice, too, to lead it off on the road. But you look at their final four games, at Rice, home against UAB, at UTSA, home against North Texas. That is a brutal November. Uh, and, and, you know, to close out the month of October, you have at Old Dominion, which uh, mm-hmm. last year was an even team. They were 6-6, six and six, so they're trying to get better. If that still stays on their schedule, that would be a tough opponent. And if it's repl- and a replacement game right there, you're talking about playing another team in the Conference USA East Division where you're having to go on the road. So at Rice, they're going to be better. The Owls are definitely going to be better next year. UAB is a strong team. We know year after year they're going to bring it. UTSA, yeah, they're not going to drop off from where they were this year. Right. And North Texas, it always gives UTEP fits. If you want to come at me with me, the mean green are not that good, they always give UTEP problems. Now, look, I mean, after Oklahoma on September 3rd, they've got New Mexico State and Boise State at home, and New Mexico and Albuquerque sandwiched in between those two. So let's just say UTEP comes out 2-2 two and two out of those first four games. At La Tech with Sonny Cumbie, they're rebuilding. Florida Atlantic at home and Southern Miss at home are potential wins. I mean, they could be doing well in September, October. The question is, those last four um, are clearly the toughest games of their strength of schedule in the conference in November. So, Adrian, if they're, let's just say, for argument's sake, um, you know, four and four after the first eight, how will they finish those final four games? That's going to be interesting. Yeah, because you can't guarantee those Rice games, those North Texas games as wins. You cannot. And You're right. UTEP is playing for a bowl game on the line, with, and they have to go on the road against UTSA or, or something along those lines. Well, That's a tough stretch for them. I will say this. I love the fact that at least they get to end their season at home. I mean, because if something is on the line, you want to play North Texas at home instead of in Denton. That I like. Yeah, and you just don't want to be in a situation where you lose to Rice. Like, let's say they're four and four. They lose to Rice. They're four and five. You don't want to be in a situation where you have to win two of your last three games, knowing that you have to play UAB and UTSA in that stretch and North Texas to wrap it up. One hundred percent. All right. So we'll get to your calls today. If you want to get in on the UTEP schedule and on the mess between this league and the three schools that want out so badly, they want to leave early. Hey, we've got lines available. Eight eight zero five seven six three. Kicking it off here on a Tuesday, two-hour edition of Sports Talk before we get ready to join John on the west side of town at the Holiday Inn, talking a little UTEP basketball. First, let's go to Charlie One. He's standing by with our first traffic update of the afternoon. All right, our pal Jim Ward welcoming us back to the show, 21 past the hour. Looking forward to seeing Jim soon enough when we start resuming baseball practice for our Sandlot team. He's the biggest UTEP basketball fan. We got to bring him on and talk Man, to some hoops. He loves UTEP hoops. He does. Him and his wife have season tickets. He's a diehard. Um, he schedules his touring around UTEP basketball. He tweets the show often. Does he get on minor talk? Does he tweet the show during yeah. minor talk? Isn't that funny? Nice. Yeah. So he gets fired up. Like this guy, he's he is fired up. About he's a it. fan. Yeah. He That's is. What it's all about. Line ringing in eight eight zero five seven six three. That's our telephone number. As we continue here on Sports Talk. So the schedule is dropped today for all of CUSA, including UTEP. So the full UTEP football schedule is now out. Um, and and again, it, it's interesting because it goes uh, road, home, road, home, road, home, home, road, road, home, road, home. So they play two home games. 
October 8th and 15th against Florida Atlantic and Southern Miss, then back-to-back road games against Old Dominion and Rice. And other than that, they alternate pretty much the entire season from start to finish. So um, it's an even schedule. It's interesting because they have two home games in September, two in October, two in November. So in that regard, um, you know, and then their spring game is set for Friday, April the 8th at 6 o'clock at the Sun Bowl. But, um, you know, last year you looked at the schedule and the first thing you thought was this is a winnable schedule. First thing you saw last year was they can win seven games if things go right for them. And they did. It's exactly what happened. You look at this schedule and the first thing you think of is, Man, you hope they survive against Oklahoma enough so they're not beat up going into New Mexico State and New Mexico. But if they do get out healthy in the first game and they can play the Aggies and Lobos tough, they do get Boise at home. I know that. They're going to be happy about that. They want some revenge after last season. Um, And then, you know, La Tech is rebuilding. That's winnable. Florida Atlantic and Southern Miss both at home are, are probably winnable. But that November schedule is tough, which means they've got to maximize the first really eight games of their season, uh, Adrian. And, you know, best case scenario, you know, maybe they're five and three after the first eight. And then they've got a shot to go back and win seven again this year. Yeah, I think also best case scenario, you start off non-conference three and one and you come out of the gate saying, no, we're not going to settle for a mediocre season. Uh, if yeah. you're UTEP football, you want to try to contend for a championship or, or be up there in the conversation when it's all said and done, and I, I feel like you have to steal that Boise State game if you're UTEP. That's the one yeah. you're circling right there, September 24th. Yeah, you're not beating Oklahoma on the road. That will be what it always looks like, a, a, a tough one for minor fans, and that's why – and it's also – you know. but here's the thing, okay, and this is important. Sometimes fans watch the opening game, and that then determines, you know, attendance following that. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, throw out the Oklahoma game. Throw it out. Well, I mean, and don't say need to compete, need to show yourself. I mean, just I would just say ignore it. And I know my fans are going to say that's the worst possible thing you could say, but let's be honest. The only times they've ever been competitive in big games was Texas Tech and Lubbock, and that was a thousand years ago. So for the most part, you know, it's a money game. They're going to get paid. It's what it is. And you say, you know what? Come out of it healthy. You know, don't look, don't don't get beat by seventy. But also just stay, you know, stay healthy and uh, and and get be ready for the other games because be honest with you, New Mexico State, New Mexico, and Boise State, those unlike Oklahoma, those are all winnable games. Yeah, they are. Yeah, most definitely with Brent Venables uh, coming in his first year at Oklahoma, it's also a brand new team with the Sooners. Like I knew uh, everybody, Lincoln Riley took everybody. I, yep. I'm also not taking for granted the pull that uh, the Sooners could actually get. So I, I expect some great players on the field for Oklahoma, but it's not the same number ten Oklahoma. Oklahoma that we saw no. last year. It's a far different team. In fact, I'd be surprised if they break in. They might break in maybe 20 to 25, but I wouldn't you shouldn't put them higher than that. Not with everybody they lost. And that's respect that's all respect to sure. Venables right 100%. there, that, you know, ranking them there. Uh not having Caleb Williams is a huge loss for o- OU and I don't know what kind of team they're going to be this year, but I-, I also think that if you're UTEP, again, you circle that Boise State game. You you beat New Mexico State, you try to beat New Mexico on the road, but that Boise State game to close out September could really show you how the conference slate could go. I, I expect that to be the largest attended uh, game beside uh, the Battle of I-10 for sure. I mean, you look at conference schedule from last season, okay? La Tech finished 3-9. and nine. That's, about the, that's about the best road team you want in the conference, okay? 3-9 and nine La Tech. 
Old Dominion was six and seven, but five and three in the league, and they were four and two at home. That'll be a tough game. Shouldn't have been to a bowl game, by the way. One hundred percent agree, one hundred percent. But that will be a tough game. Rice last season was four and eight. Um, you know, four and four in the league. I'm sorry, three and five in the league. Three and three at home. Another favorable road game. It is. And UTSA is still rebuilding. Say what you want about their season last year and how great they were. They lost a ton of seniors. They will rebuild. We don't know how quickly they're going to rebuild. Will they be able to just stack the deck with enough transfers to, to get themselves back on top out of the gate? Who's to say? But they lost a lot of players off their team last season. They did, and I, I still will side with uh, Jeff Trailer. Thinking, I'm not saying that he's the favorite to win Conference USA with UTSA, but I would say that they have to be in the conversation for top five. I would say UTEP hasn't earned that uh, that uh, discussion yet. Yeah. They they need to prove to people that they can beat quality teams in order to get in that conversation. A hundred percent agree. But the point is, New Mexico last season was one and seven in their league, three and nine overall. Again. You know, you want road games to be winnable road games. New Mexico is a winnable road game. La Tech is a winnable road game. Rice should be a winnable road game. Old Dominion and UTSA will be more difficult, but again, UTSA is not UTSA 2021. So the schedule is actually, believe it or not, the, the toughest opponents the Miners are going to face outside Oklahoma, they get them all at, at, at the Sun Bowl. And you know what? That's a big advantage to know that your best conference teams are going to be home games where at least the uh, you know the, the tables could turn in your favor. Something that we haven't seen in a while. I also think that when you look at this schedule right here, Steve, uh, I it's no doubt, no doubt about it. Last year's schedule, just on paper, it's easier to find six wins. This one, wait, it's it's more challenging to find six wins. I'm not saying it's the toughest schedule out there for UTEP because they don't have teams like Western Kentucky on the, their radar, don't have Charlotte. Although you know, we never know down the line if the Southern Miss and Old Dominion game gets replaced. That's but true. my point is, you're not playing the top top teams of Conference USA, so. It's it's a better schedule than last year in terms of strength, uh, but it, it, you know, last year you could find those six wins pretty easily. This time it's a little tougher. Let's be honest. Just going through the schedule, game by game, okay? Lose to Oklahoma, you're 0-1. Beat New Mexico State, you're 1-1. Um, beat New Mexico, but it'll probably be a close game because it always is, you're 2-1. And, and again, I mean, if you, if you were looking at Boise State historically, you would say lose to yeah, Boise State. let's say State. they lose. Let's say they lose. Lose to Boise State, 2-2. Two two. La Tech... Let's say La Tech is rebuilding um, right now, and Sonny Cumbie doesn't have it ready to go in year one. They beat La Tech on the road. They're three and two. Beat Florida Atlantic, who was miserable last year on the road. They're four. They're uh, four and two. Beat Southern. I'm mean, sorry. Beat Florida Atlantic at home. Beat Southern Miss at home. Five and two. Lose to Old Dominion on the road. Five and three. What do you say against Rice? I think that's a win. I, I right. Mike Bloomgren's not the greatest. Beat Rice. You're six and three. Lose to UAB at home. You're six and four. What do you do with UTSA? I, I still think a loss. It's Lose tough to, to win UTSA there. on the road. You're six and five, and then North Texas ultimately is there between a six and six and a seven and five team. Yeah, that's that's it. Right and that's there. probably be- And that honestly is one of the better case scenarios that we have right now. 
Yeah, we road mapped it so it's favorable to UTEP's schedule. Now they could win Boise, they could beat Boise State and be in the driver's seat heading into Conference USA with more momentum under their belt, but they can't let this season get away from them. Absolutely. 8805763, that's our telephone number breaking down the 2022 UTEP football schedule first glance, all right? And that's what it's all about here on the show. Bottom of the hour, right back to Adrian. Let's get our first uh in-show Sports Center update of the day. Adrian, thank you very much. Appreciate it. 880-5763. That is our telephone number. Here we go with our first tweet from Minor Eddie Mack, who tweets the show this. Gentlemen, he starts. It's going to be interesting to see how UTSA does next year because they're losing like over 40 seniors, so they're losing a lot of experience. It's going to be very interesting to see how they rebuild. I think this game is going to be a very challenging game from Minor Eddie Mack. I don't disagree with him. I think he's right. I think it's going to be. I think any time you go up against UTSA, if you're UTEP, you want to steal one. And I feel like with what we saw last year, was let's say let's call it what it was. It was embarrassing the way that the Miners lost against the Roadrunners in what was the most hyped game we've seen in this area in football for years, and uh, they just didn't show up. So if if the Miners wanted to come in with a little edge and try to steal one on the road, that's that's their opportunity. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So I mean, I'm looking right now. And uh, based on the transfer portal, it looks like they've got a, um, a kicker who committed uh, from Central Florida. Oh, no, from so- USF. USF. So South Florida. He's eligible. They've also got a Northwestern offensive lineman who is there. And they got a Colorado uh, wide receiver uh, who's going to be playing next season. And uh, they did lose a bunch, though. So that's, uh, you know, there's no doubt about that. I have not looked yet at their recruiting to see who they really grabbed uh, for uh, for next season. Yeah, so UTSA, according to 247 Sports, which, by the way, ranks UTEP uh, near the last of the league year after year in rankings, they uh, they rank UTSA at number two this year, 16 commits. They have 15 three-star prospects, and they're only behind Marshall, who has 25 three-star prospects. Take that for what it's worth. All right, that's fine. We'll do. I mean, at the same time, I'm looking at their, at, at their deal to see what they did. And... They've got a safety out of community college. They, I mean, I'm just looking to see how many JUCO players they've got. They've got a offensive lineman from Independence Community College. Uh, Hutchinson Community College, a running back. Um, and then it looks like East LA College, a defensive lineman. So they've done. They've also done some community college, um, and then another Hutchinson Community College linebacker. And then they've got the three transfers uh, in Carpenter uh, from uh, Colorado and then the Northwestern and uh, South Florida transfer. So that's what they've got, at least showing this so far. Yeah, and I also think that you get those JUCO guys to be the plug-and-play players, and if you're UTSA who graduated a lot of guys last year, those JUCO players could be the guys who play right away for you. So uh, we'll see what kind of, um, I I guess, recruiting uh, talent that Jeff Trailer has with UTSA. He did it with a lot of – he had success at UTSA recently with a lot of uh, the former coaches' players. So let's see what he could do with his guys. 880-5763. That is our telephone number as we continue here on Sports. Sports talk. Um, now, that was the best case scenario. Um, whether we could see them going, like you know, s- essentially seven and five if things break their way. Let's look on the flip side. Okay, Oklahoma loss. 
New Mexico State win. They're one and one. New Mexico loss one and two. Boise State loss. They're one and three. La Tech. Uh, we'll give them a win. Uh, two and three. Florida Atlantic. Actually, no. La Tech loss. Say they can't win this yeah. year. Let's say they lose all their road games. All right. Let's just do that. Russell's so, tough to win at. Yeah. There you go. So win it. Lose to Oklahoma. Beat New Mexico State. Lose to oh New Mexico on the road. They're one and two. Uh, lose to Boise, they're one and three. Lose to Louisiana Tech, they're one and four. So they're one and four by October first. Worst case scenario, they beat Florida Atlantic and they beat Southern Miss. So now they're three and four. Lose to Old Dominion on the road, they're three and five. Lose to Rice, they're three and six. Lose to UAB, three and seven, and then lose to UTSA, three and eight, and. By the time they're North Texas, they're either three and nine or four and eight. So that's probably to me worst case scenario if suddenly they can't win a road game and everything just goes to heck. Yeah, and that would be very disappointing because you're returning seven players on offense, seven players on defense next year. You have all your your best production coming back, minus Jacob Cowing, wide receiver. Uh, and I feel like that that would be a major disappointment 100%. after having a having a lot of success last year. There would be a mutiny in the city. Yeah, I mean, there'd be there'd have to be some big changes. And I, I think you're talking personnel changes and positional player changes. I think there is a much better shot that they would be 6-5 and five heading into that last game with a chance to go either 7-5 and five or 6-6 six and six, as opposed to 3-9, and nine, either being 4 and uh, or 3-8, and eight, either being 3-9 and nine or 4-8. Or four and, uh, four and eight. I, I just, I, I, again, I don't see that happening unless major key players get hurt and they just don't have quality backups at big spots to get the job done, but I don't know. Yeah, and they haven't really been tested like that in injury sense, Steve. Like you haven't had a key player uh, like, and, and you, we don't wish any injury on these players. But you're talking about their key players on either side of the ball. We haven't seen that those kind of injuries pop up for this team. But if they do get injured for whatever reason, maybe they're one injury away from uh, you know having a little bit of trouble trying yep. to g- keep uh, their their uh, above average play going right now. Well, I mean they've been fortunate because Hardison didn't get hurt uh, last season. But you always kind of say, well happens if something happens to Gavin then what yeah because they don't have much options right there right now not with experience yes and, and maybe you, you have success with McNamara over the offseason and develop him or or Calvin Brown Brownholds. maybe maybe yeah. he gets to be a better passer or one of the Juco's sure that's right all right 38 passed as we continue here on Sports Talk you know John and Kennedy wanted to sell their northeast side home so they can move out to Washington near their family but they were concerned about their home selling due to needed repairs but then they were able to get Brian Birds and his team on board, and those worries were quickly laid to rest. In fact, everything got fixed, sold quickly, and they got top dollar for their home, which enabled them to move to Washington. Good for John and Kennedy. like to hear good success stories like that. In fact, when it was all said and done, here's what they said. Quote, you may feel like you're not ready to sell yet, but Brian and his team will make sure to guide you with all the necessary help and information without the fear that they will disappear and not communicate with you. Now, are you worried a little bit about leaving money on the table if you sell your home? Not if you're with Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team powered by EXP Realty. Because you know what? In the El Paso area, there's lots of delays to getting a home sold with timelines not being met by appraisers, lenders, builders, and other vendors. And that obviously could cost you to lose some money. But no matter what the obstacle is, Brian and his team know how to get it done. So make that call to the official real estate agent of UTEP and El Paso Locomotive, not to mention the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. He's Brian Birds. Hey, El- 
Online at brianbirds.com or Google Brian Birds, B-U-R-D-S, and start packing. 46 past. We continue here on Sports Talk, 880-5763. That's our telephone number. Don't worry. Track Talk coming up with Eric Alwyn, the return of Track Talk. He'll join us via Zoom in about 15 minutes to tell us what the first six weeks of live racing has been like at Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. He is now the voice of the track. And a couple of years ago, he replaced Robert Geller. So Eric Alwyn will be with us coming up at 5 here on Sports Talk. In the meantime, let's go back to the phones. 8805763. Here he is, John, joining us from the east side of town. Hey John, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing good, doing good. Just wanted to give my two cents on the Super Bowl wrap up here real quick. All right, let's do it. Uh, give me your reaction to the game and everything around it. Well, it was a good game. Um for me that there there's no way Stafford could have messed this up this year with all that talent. He couldn't have. He got the job done. He did. But this thought of he's a Hall of Famer because he won one ring, like this needs to stop. Really needs to stop. In your mind, how close is he to Canton after uh, the performance he had uh, on Sunday? Well, considering he's playing in an era where it's garbage stats, garbage yards, I don't think he's that close. Give me another five or six years. Of this, same goes for Aaron Donald. Then okay, not Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's a Hall of Famer today, John. Yeah. I mean, John. To me, if Aaron Donald's career ended today and retires, he's 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 in Canton. There's no question. There's no question he, about it. Okay, okay. Here, here's my argument for now against Aaron Donald. He doesn't have a hundred sacks. He's okay. not supposed to. He's a defensive interior lineman. Okay. Well, so was Reggie White at one point, right? Sure, sure. And I mean, how many sacks does he have? Like 110 or something? Yeah, how, long did Reggie White, yeah, but how long did Reggie White play? Aaron Donald's yeah, played like, less than 10 seasons, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah. Eight uh, seasons. Eight yes, seasons. I believe it's eight. Yeah, I mean, let's Seven be honest. If, if, if Aaron Donald, you're, you're basically arguing that he should be averaging 12 sacks a season for his entire career to have 100 sacks. And like Adrian pointed out, I mean, number one, he's getting double and triple teamed every time. He's an interior lineman. Um, to me, Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in football, has been for years. And, I mean, when you're the best in your game and you dominate your position and he dominated in the Super Bowl, um, it's it's hard to argue with, with a guy like that for, uh, for Canton if he calls it quits now. Okay, we'll agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> we will, because, right. because I, I, I honestly think that at least for D-Lineman, longevity has to play a part. Uh, I don't know. I mean, how many years did, uh, no, again, Barry Sanders was the best in the game for less than 10 years, and he's in the Hall of Fame. He retired at 30. He never no, went to a Super he, Bowl. He, he couldn't get he to the playoffs so, with the so Lions. They were so Davis. terrible. And that's another thing, okay? By the way, okay, we're, we're, we're talking about rings, right, with Stafford. Well, yeah. I mean. He's got the same amount as Aaron Rodgers. Understand. The same amount of time, almost. Almost, give or take a few years. But what I'm saying is Barry Sanders never won a ring. Um, you know, and, and nobody ever held that against him. He played for the Lions, poor guy. We felt for him. Same thing with Calvin Johnson, Megatron, and all the other stars in, in Detroit. And, and Stafford's in that same equation. I mean, listen, you know, 
you think about Stafford, and I know you want to you want to knock him because he was a lion, but understand that when you're playing with garbage for your entire career, and then all of a sudden you get the chance to be part of a of a you know a, a, a team built now to win, and he wins in his first year, that's got to say something. No, it does. It does, Steve. But real quick, to back back to the Hall of Fame yeah. uh, discussion, not not with Aaron Donald, not with Stafford, just as in a whole. They named, what was it, last week or a week and a half ago, they named this incoming class. Okay, how does Leroy Butler get in over Darren Woodson? I mean, something needs to change, Steve. Either the five-year wait or let them do a veterans committee after so long. Because I just have this feeling Darren Woodson is going to get the Drew Pearson treatment. And that dude, Branch, I never saw him play okay, way before my time. But the dude is dead now. He doesn't even get to enjoy it. Yeah, but what you got to yeah, no, tell you about the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but you got to realize something. Cliff Branch was a heck of a football player. He really was. I'm, I'm old enough to remember Cliff Branch. And uh, you know what? Sometimes it's sad when, when people pass away and they're not able to enjoy it. But uh, he was a terrific, terrific receiver. And the, the Hall's always been like this. They've always, for some reason, did it with our Monk. I mean, guys that should have yeah. been in the league, have been in the Hall of oh, Fame yeah. a long time ago that waited long, long past, uh, you know, their, their uh, expected arrival to get in. So I'm okay with Cliff Branch getting in. That's a, that's a good oh, move. Yeah, no, I, and he was, I, he was, I am, really I am good. too. I'm, I'm not arguing against it. I'm arguing about the process. Yeah, the, uh, it's flawed. Okay. Every, listen, but every no. Hall of Fame is flawed. All right. No, look no, at the base, no, look no, at the baseball is. Hall of Fame and what a disaster that's turned into. Oh, yes. No, I agree. And here would, I know it's never going to happen, but this is how I would change it, Steve. Last thing I'll hang up. You do the five-year wait. Fine. Then you have five years after that to get in. If you don't get in after that, it goes to the Veterans Committee. Screw the writers holding these guys out for 20, 30, 40, 50 years to get in. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's so many ways I would try to fix it. I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but, again, all, every Hall of Fame is flawed. Every single one of them, John. I mean, they're all – look, Tim Hardaway's not in the basketball the, uh, the, the, the basketball Hall of Fame, the Naismith Hall of Fame. That, to me, is a joke because his contemporaries are all in, and you know what? Tim Hardaway dominated that sport at his position for a long time, and there are guys with lesser numbers that are in. So, to me, it's hard to explain. And he's been a finalist about five or six times, and he's still not in the Hall for basketball. Agreed. So – all right, appreciate you, John. Thanks for getting through. I, I could do a whole show on the Hall of Fame because every Hall of Fame is flawed, every single one of them. I agree. I also feel like if you had to restart all the books and I had to restart all the Hall of Fames today, uh, that, that could be a show in itself too because I, I feel like there would be a lot of revisions that you would make there. 100%. 100% agree. All right, winding up hour number one here on the show, um, and it's been a good hour. I appreciate that. In fact... Um, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, Paul Marmaleo summed it up best. Wow, people, Hall of Fame is subjective. It's a good point. It is. Every single fan, he's right. 
everybody has their own opinion about who should or shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, exactly. And that and there's a lot of cases for Matthew Stafford. There's a lot of cases against it. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, right now somebody who has put together monster numbers with bad oh, teams. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's, it's an interesting conversation both ways. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right, we're about an hour away from John Teicher joining us on the West Side for UTEP Basketball with Kevin Baker and Joe Golding. Looking forward to that conversation starting at 6. But up next, the return of Track Talk. Haven't done this in years, and we're bringing back Eric Alwyn via Zoom in about six, seven minutes from now to start off our number two. We'll talk to Eric about everybody, all the big horses, jockeys, trainers that are doing big things at Sunland Park Racetrack this year as they returned on December 31st following last year's meet canceled due to COVID. So get ready. Eric Alwyn leading off our number two with Track Talk as Sports Talk continues. And welcome back, everybody, to Track Talk. That's right. It's been a few years or more, but we're bringing it back here today via Zoom. Steve Kaplowitz with you right now as we begin our number two here on Sports Talk. But we like to call this Track Talk because a very familiar face and voice is uh, joining me right now because he was alongside me for years at Sunland Park Racetrack uh, when we were doing this because then he was uh, the director of race operations. Now, what is he? He is the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack. That's right. Eric Alwyn uh, back with us for another go around. First off, great to see you, my friend, via Zoom. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, it's nice to have Track Talk back on 600 ESPN El Paso. You, you made it happen, didn't you, Steve? You made it happen. Well, there's been some changes since the last time we did this, right? Um, now we're Zooming, which we didn't even know what Zoom was the last time we were together at the racetrack. <laughs> I didn't know much about it until 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this feels like CNN. There you go. Or Fox News. There I say. <laughs> well, first off, you look great. I know um, you're now uh, calling the races out at Sunland, which is something you've been doing for years at other tracks, but uh, now it's a reality. And uh, I was there at the track last Friday, had a chance to listen to you call the first few, and uh, it was great. It sounds like uh, for you, obviously, um, you know, coming full circle after years of doing other tracks around New Mexico, now home here at Sunland. Yeah, very very rewarding. You know, I've I've put my life into this this industry, and uh, it's been good to me. There's been many little rewards for it, but you know, in order to be relevant, you know, in a lot of businesses, maybe even in yours too, if you don't reinvent yourself, Cappy, you're dog meat. You're dead. You got to continue growing, developing, and because of those other tracks, I was able to, you know refine and razor sharpen my skills as an announcer and what i what i bring to the table here steve is just that i i, I know the cast of characters yeah. like the side of my hand and and that's that's a powerful ally you know and and i put all those things together but it takes a long time to get good at anything you know it takes many many years yeah. of refinement and study and uh but I told Dustin Dix, you know, back in 2020, before COVID hit, how appreciative I was of it because uh, 
I was so excited to get the opportunity to call a Sunland Derby. It didn't quite happen right. because of COVID, but it will happen this year. That's exactly. And uh, now that, and I always say this, if you can call horse racing, you can call anything because uh, you've got to be quick, fast. And that makes me wonder, could we ever see Eric Alwyn calling basketball games, maybe some football games? Because, (laughs) hey, sports is sports, Eric. You do play-by-play for horse racing. You could start doing anything. So any chance we could ever see you as, uh, you know, a basketball voice down the road? No shot. No shot. A man needs to know his limitations. And I, 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 I just do this, you know, pretty much because I was raised on it. You know, I, my father, you know, a a legend in this, in this game. And, and, you know, he, he instilled me, you know, a lot of the things about that you need to know about racing back when I was just a little kid, a little not nosed kid. And um, he did a great job. Well, I've been able to, I've been working here at Sunland for, you know, 33, 32 years. Yeah. A little bit interrupted, though, because of the last couple of years. And um, I've seen the face of the devil. You ever seen the devil up close? No, and uh, have when no interest. Have no interest in doing so either. And you may not survive anymore. Yeah. Well, that 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 can change a little bit too, you know. But a real appreciation for life, you know. But I'm a little tired of uh, traveling, so I think the summon. These Sunland gigs are where I want to just kind of wrap up my career. Well, good. Well, let's talk about that then, because here we are. We're about six weeks into the live racing season. It started on uh, New Year's of 2021, and now here we are, um, you know, going into the middle of uh, February. And uh, you tell me. I mean, I'm looking at some of the names in terms of leading jockeys, leading trainers, and you're right. You say you know the sport. I feel like, um, you know, some of these names are very familiar. Dodd Fincher being atop the leading trainer and, and nearly doubling in, in purse totals is his competitors. Um, Alfredo Juarez Jr. having a banner meet as well as a jockey. And, hey, Fincher and Juarez, they, they team up a, a lot. And so far, they're obviously delivering the goods six weeks into the season as far as thoroughbred racing goes. Don Fincher is just a, you know, a powerhouse, Steve. He, uh, he's, you know, when COVID hit, he was able to do very well at other tracks. So he proved his worth, you know, throughout the country. I think he won stakes races at about three or four different tracks while we were closed. And he has the most, the deepest, most powerful barn of uh, thoroughbreds I've ever, you know, possibly ever seen. But, but make no bones about it, Steve. I mean, COVID, COVID hurt us a great deal, mm-hmm. a great deal. A great, great deal. Some some of our trainers died. Some left. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to gather them all in. I see this season, Steve, as a success because we're up and going. Yeah, it's really quite a quite a miracle to get get, get going again. Because for whatever reason, someone was the last to get back and rolling again. You know, Riadoso, Albuquerque. You know, they all got rolling. You know, without fans, of course, but we have the longest absence and, you know, it's a credit to the crew here at Sunland how, you know, how malleable they are and how they can do many different jobs. All of us have to do more than just one job. So it shows you the, you know, the talents that are here, but we have most of the horsemen that we did before, like you've noticed with those jockeys. So that's the good news. 
It is good news. And uh, thus far, as you look at the, uh, again, some of the numbers, um, I like uh, seeing familiar names at the top, which is what I see right now. And um, interestingly enough, uh, and you mentioned it, you know, COVID has taken its toll on everybody here at the track, whether it's trainers, jockeys, so on, so forth. What about the fact that nowadays, Eric, it is so easy to virtually become part of the meet. You can wager at home on an app. You can watch via, uh, you know, your house, the track. So ultimately, I still say live sports, there's nothing better. Horse racing, just like every other sport, you want to see it, you want to be there so you can kind of enjoy the whole pageantry of it. But now people can basically virtually take part in in, in the track from uh, their house or, or anywhere they are right now. That's one of the one of the blessings of this new era that we live in, you know, being able to watch it from home and be able to keep track and see the statistics, see the payoffs. It's it's almost instantaneous to be able to do that. Uh, but it but it affected the the ownership a little bit too much. You know, we're we've lost some owners as well. But oh, what you're talking about, I mean, the ability to watch races, you know, on a computer. Yeah. It's an awesome, awesome device. And to be able to study races from the past and learn things and pick up some things that maybe, you know, aren't on the printed program. Oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. One that we didn't have mm-hmm. 20 years ago, you know, so I, re- I really enjoy that. Absolutely. As far as the, the racing season, now that things are back underway, is it starting to feel like business as usual uh, around the track as far as just the races, the quality of the races? We're very, very strong, Steve, and on the top end, okay? Very strong. The stakes horses, the Todd Fincher horses. Let me give you some other names, too. There's a young trainer, son of J.J. Gonzalez. His name is James J. Gonzalez III, He's a young man in his 20s, mid-20s, and he's already won three stakes races. So, you know, I always tell you the truth, the whole stone-cold truth about how hard things can be. Mm-hmm. There's an example of where the baton has been, you know, set back down uh, through the generations. So you need that in horse racing. It used to be very, very prevalent, you know, that horse racing would go down from a son to the grandson and, and so forth, you know. We haven't seen too much of that lately, but I was really pleased to see uh, that uh, J.J. trained his son to be such a great trainer. Mm-hmm. He's won two stakes races, and he's pretty good with thoroughbreds too. So that that's really, really good news. Um, we have one of the strongest jockey colonies, super competitive, tightly knitted, but I think Alfredo Juarez Jr. is poised this season to win the title because he's so experienced. I think he has between... 3,500 and 4,000 career wins, which puts him in, you know, an elevated uh, atmosphere as far as, you know, championship jockeys are concerned. Other names to to remember when you're making your bets, Luis Fuentes, great thoroughbred rider, Luis Negron, on the quarter horse ledger, this Noe Garcia Jr. just lights out, super effective. And he rides a lot for the legendary trainer, Fred Danley. Uh, they teamed up to win a big stakes just the other day uh, with Lethal Avenger. Uh, so I would watch for those names, too. And uh, we have Wes Giles here. Yeah. And uh, Adrian A. Ramos rides for him. So, yes, it, it is getting to be like normal. 
and I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, another big date that we'll have. I think it's going to be on the 27th, the Mind That Bird Derby Day, mm-hmm. which will be the final really local prep for the uh, Sunland Derby. Very nice. Eric Alwyn with us right now, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack, as we continue here on Track Talk. Uh, Nancy Summers is having a really strong start to her season as a trainer. I was seeing that she's winning at about a 65% clip. That is uh, terrific for, for Nancy, isn't it? He's in the money 65% yep, of the time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, former rider that's really picked up steam during this era that we've been in, the COVID era, you know, the last two or three years. She's been leading trainer at Albuquerque and Zia, and she's becoming a player here as well. And she trains for uh, Judge Lanier Racing. Judge Lanier Racing has had a real impact in uh, New Mexico racing the last quarter of a century. Uh, they won the Arkansas Derby before everything, you know, went bad. Uh, they own a half-brother to mine that bird. Oh, wow. Called Mine That Star. And it was a heck of a way, the way they, you know, they acquired the horse. They got him for a song. His horse, Mine That Star, when he was a baby, cost about, oh, $900,000. That's more than my Lexus. <laughs> hey, it's good to know you're still driving a Lexus. Something's never changed. Something's really never changed. That is awesome. Anyway, they got the horse for probably twenty, thirty thousand. And what's he done since Judge Lanier owns him and Nancy trains him? Only about four out of five wins and a stakes win here the other day. So it's kind of fun that that mind that bird, those genes are flowing to another horse that we can watch and wager on now. And that's because of Nancy. One of the train I want you to tell me about. Tell me about uh, Dick uh, Capolucci. He's been a mainstay of Sunland for as long as I've been here, Steve. Uh, he's he's kind of grown up at Sunland. I think uh, Flacco mm-hmm. is the way he's a you know uh, the way his nickname is. He's been here as long as I have, probably about the same age, maybe in his mid fifties. He's become a powerhouse trainer as well, and he went out to the other parts of the country and did pretty good he went out to canterbury did well did well at turf paradise and i'm glad that you know he still puts the bulk of his horses right here at Sunland. eric Alwyn with us here on track talk as we continue so you mentioned the mind that bird derby coming up in a little less than two weeks do we have some strong contenders for that race that you think when it comes to sunland derby time could really be a force to, to reckon with for the uh, kentucky derby prep race you have two steve uh, we had the Rally Allison Derby a couple weeks ago, and it came down to a battle between two horses. They were seven lengths in front of the next closest finisher. The winner was a horse called Pepper Spray. It's pretty much the king of Arizona. I hope he comes back. He's a worthy horse. He's trained by an Arizona horseman, a real wizard named Ed Carolluck. Second in the race was Todd's star in the making, a horse called Bye Bye Bobby. A horse that also cost big money at one time, about $900,000. And Bye Bye Bobby had to go wide in that race, very, very wide. Might have cost them the win. Those two, if they run in the Mind That Bird Derby, I think are legitimate. And they could go on and do very well in the Summon Derby. I caught a glimpse of Bob Baffert's nominations for this year's race, and it was long. So it's obvious to me that with everything going on, one thing's for certain— Bob Baffert still wants to be a big part of the Sunland Derby. Sure. What was it, like 25 head? Yeah. 
yeah. there's a long list. Dustin showed me that list. One of the horses on that list is Messier. Is that a famous hockey player? It is, Mark Messier. That's right. The horse is pretty awesome. But even if that horse doesn't come here, Baffert's so loaded, you know, and he's got so many strings uh, throughout the South, throughout Southern California and, and everywhere else that we would love to have his horses. And you know that when he brings a horse for the Derby, he'd also bring horses for our other races mm -hmm. on that day, like the Oaks. And the Oaks has been enriched. It's worth more than it was back when, you know, when we had the race. It's now worth $300,000. So that race might be a little stronger than normal. Give me a preview of this weekend. I know we've got live racing going on uh, here today, but what about uh, Friday and into the weekend? Friday's usually devoted to the quarter horses. And uh, for those of you that like 870 races, we've reinstituted them this year. Kind of helps helps the racing stock last a little longer when you can have a, an 870-yard race. There's a there's almost a $100,000 stakes race each and every week. Since we've condensed the meat a little bit, you have the finest in stakes races here at Summit. All the big races that we had are still in play each and every week. So this Sunday is the Enchantress, and it's worth $100,000. And there's a horse that's won about four or five in a row, Belladonna, that I really love. But as you well know, whenever you change distances, mm -hmm. when a speed horse is asked to go long, there's always those questions whether they can navigate two turns or not. So there might be a chance at an upset maybe in that race. All right. Excellent. And that's, uh, again, uh, happening this weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Hey, um, it is great to kick things off on Track Talk with you again. Uh, I'm excited. Thanks for you always make it feel like I never left the track, which is what you it's did. all about. So uh, congratulations on the opportunity now to, to call the races. I know it's something that uh, you've been wanting to do here forever, so I'm happy that's very, very become well. a reality. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, plenty of great conversations here over the next few months as we uh, get through the 2022 meet. You got it, sir. Thank you, Steve. Eric Alwyn, folks, joining us here on Track Talk as we continue. Take a timeout. Come back after Charlie. Plenty more to get to. Sports Talk continues. It's 600 ESPN El Paso. 24 past the hour. We continue here on Sports Talk, 880-5763, our telephone number. John Teicher coming up in about 20 minutes for our final countdown. And then again, top of the hour for UTEP basketball with Kevin Baker and Joe Golding. Excited about that. Big road trip for the Miners. Three road games. We're going to learn a lot about this UTEP men's basketball team over these next three road games, aren't we, Adrian? Yes, we will, Steve. Uh, this is a, a tough stretch for the Miners, and Joe Golding will tell you that any game in Conference USA is tough, which I, I agree. I mean, this is a good league. There's a lot of parity in it. Uh, but I will also say, if UTEP wants to stay within that top half of this league, they have to try to win two out of these three games. Oh, it's it's so must. tough, though. It, yeah. it, these these te uh, teams are really good. I think the biggest challenge right now is uh, regarding UTEP is the inconsistency just makes it impossible to predict what's going to happen. We don't know. I mean, nobody would have expected them to lose to Marshall. Nobody. Everybody had that one as a win for them, and that's their that's their worst loss of the season. Just on paper, you you can't lose to a team like Marshall. But and hey, uh, again, UTEP will argue that that Marshall team is good. I I watch them. I think they're a, a balanced team. But any team that poses size, poses length against the Miners is going to give UTEP fits. Hundred percent, 
hundred percent. We we we've been saying that over and over and over again, and it's a shame because you know Titus had been making strides offensively these last three four games, and it's been a real factor. But um, it was a two man show. It was Boomin Bienemy on the offensive side. Um, again, uh, Joel Satterfield has has disappeared from the scoring aspect of it over the last uh, four or five games. Ever since he was on fire, and boy. You know, the boot is off, and you really hope that Keontae Kennedy can be back to full speed in the next couple of weeks because they're going to need him for that stretch drive in a big, big way. That's their answer right there, getting Keontae Kennedy back and playing significant minutes for them. And just to you know, go off some stats for uh, Jarrell Satterfield, like you wrote, Steve, back uh, back in late January through his first 18 games, almost shot 50% from three-point range uh, in the last five games, two of 13 in field goal attempts, and only 13 field goal attempts. Yeah, and, and, and of those 13, they're not all three-pointers either. That's right, and just eight points and two free throw attempts during the last five games. You you got to get more out of Jarrell Satterfield. And I was really hoping that when Titus started to score, that that would open up the uh, opportunities for uh, Satterfield to start bombing away. Yeah, if Titus gets it down low, if the matchup's not favorable, uh, dish it outside, inside and have, out. Yeah, exactly, and work and work it like that. And that's when UTEP's at their best when they're playing inside out. I know, I know. I mean, but here's the thing. We really didn't have – it's such a weird season because, you know, before their six-game winning streak, we had zero expectations. Then they get hot and get everybody thinking, man, they've turned the corner, and now these last couple of games is more of just a reality check that this team will struggle at times when you expect them or at least expect them to struggle. So, you know what, they'll surprise you with wins, but they'll also surprise you with losses as well. They need a big surprise this weekend, whether it be La Tech or Middle Tennessee. They need one of those surprises to come their way. Uh, I'm chalking up that Southern Miss game as a win. I'm expecting them to win. They've entered that territory, at least for me, is that you can start looking at this team and uh, seeing the, the inferior opponents and expect UTEP to beat those teams. They dismantled Southern Miss at the Haskins Center. That game wasn't even competitive. 87-54 was the final. That's exactly that. That was one of the first games of conference play. So yeah, they took control in that game. Never looked back. I'm looking at that La Tech loss though. 64-52. That was a tough game for it was. UTEP. Uh, to that was their second game in conference play. Because that was the game that Lofton was a non-factor offensively, but he still grabbed 18 boards in that game and just dominated in other ways. Yeah, and you need to have uh, you first off. You need to try to make that rebounding margin as close as possible. You might not win the rebounding margin, but just keep it close and then have some interior presence and get some more scores beyond just JB and Sule Boom. It's not easy, is it? That's no. that's that's the hardest part. And 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 you're right. I mean, you just can't expect this team to win games when two guys score. You really can't. I mean, you'd almost have to have an unbelievable defensive effort if you're going to have your entire offense carried by two players. Yeah, and, and actually Joe Golding hinted at the fact that he needs a third and fourth score to really step up after the loss to Marshall. And uh, he talked about, you know, he, he he took responsibility, said that the loss was on him, but he also said that they need that third or fourth score to step up. See, when Satterfield was on, he was their third option. And then all of a sudden, when Verhoeven started getting into the act, he became their third option. But you would love a game that would give you Satterfield, Verhoeven, Boom, and Biennemi 
all in double figures. I mean, that's that's the ultimate dream right there. And then Kennedy coming back and can kind of get into the uh, into the scoring mix as well. But you would just love to see the Miners spread the wealth and get everybody involved at the same time. Yeah, and just have that balance because they've shown this year that they can have balance with guys like Alfred Hollins even or Christian Agnew. Those guys can score. Hundred percent. They just need to they just need to kind of put it together and, and really show it on the floor. Yeah, you're right. I mean. At, there are times Agnew looks like he can score. There's times Hollins looks like he can score. There are times Sibley looks like he can really score. So, 100% right. The guys that you know right now are limited offensively. Kalu, um, and, and really, and Yemma. I mean, those are the two guys that, you know, for the most part, and we're not seeing now as much of Emmanuel White anymore, and we're not seeing as much of... Uh, of the uh, walk-on guard. Yeah, Cam. Uh, Cam uh-huh. Yeah, Cam Clark. We're not seeing that anymore either. So, I mean, look, Myers need to get these games. That's what it comes down to. And they got to go on the road and play well. Imagine if Keontae Kennedy comes back and he fills in that third scoring role easily. And then Huge. you have three top guards in conference USA playing for the Miami. That's the best case scenario in this but, stretch. But, no, but to me, the best case scenario is doing what you said with Kennedy, but still Titus giving you double figures. That's, yeah. that's the best case scenario because you don't want it to be all guards. You still want to get some low post scoring, which when they were getting low post scoring from Titus, they were starting to roll. Yeah, and, and Titus just needs to have those shot attempts so he can yeah. build on the confidence, try to get in double-figure scoring. When he does, good things happen for this team. 100% right. Bottom of the hour, more in a moment. First, let's go back to Adrian and get uh, one last Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. 33 now past the hour. You want to get in, now is the time to do it because we're in the uh, stretch drive of today's show. 880-5763. That is our telephone number as uh, we continue here on Sports Talk. 880-5763 to get in to the program. And again, We'd love to hear from you, especially with the news today that we broke the show with and we started off with the CUSA issuing their football schedule for 14 teams, assuming they're going to be able to keep everybody on board. Although Marshall, Southern Miss, and Old Dominion have all maintained they want out by June and don't want to stick around. Here's the question I've got. So doing the research on this, um, when teams leave the conference, they have to forfeit the next two years of league of league payments, but uh, but ultimately, or like, uh, but they stay, they they want them to stay in the conference because you know I guess the attitude that everybody else is is like, hey, if we're forfeiting our, uh, our you know our, our what we get from the league, why should we stick around? Why shouldn't we just leave now? What's the point? Yeah, that's a big hit for Conference USA at that point. So that's what I, – I, I wonder if Conference USA is willing to negotiate these exit fees. That's one thing that we haven't really seen so far is what's the exit fee look like for these schools if they really want to leave? That's my that's my biggest thing. If Conference USA wants to hold firm, well, maybe ask, uh, put the asking price at a higher amount. So according to Chris Vanini's article on TheAthletic.com, the buyout to leave Conference USA – is the forfeiture of two years of conference payouts. Sense, okay. But CUSA says the schools still have a contractual commitment and the early departure of the schools could lead to damages through less inventory for its media rights deals. 
Now that's interesting. Now you're talking some TV money. And if you have a, a contract that tells one of these uh, broadcast partners you have 14 teams to choose from, well, then that's a contract that Conference USA doesn't want to uh, you know mess up right now. Exactly. Now we all know uh, CUSA's TV deal is a, is 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 just a crock of you know what. But as bad as it is, if you lose, if you jeopardize what little money you have, it makes it even worse. Now. Again, since the actual cost to leave CUSA is just forfeiting future money, so if you're not getting it, I would leave right away. Why stick around? I understand what these three schools are saying. It makes total sense. Listen, CUSA bylaws are a joke. They are an absolute joke. Because ultimately, if you're not holding schools contractually to the conference and all you're worried about is forfeiting money and the schools say, well, we're out of here, I mean... I don't know what kind of a legal case CUSA really has, and if this idea of their TV partner rights will hold up any water will hold any water up in court. Yeah, I'm also thinking: Does this go immediately to something like a mediation? You mm. know, we were talking baseball and the players' association trying to go to mediation that got shot down. But it, could this be resolved in some kind of a mediation type of thing where they re- they meet at the middle? That's what it seems like to me: is both sides need to just try well, to meet at the middle. And conference USA seems like the, the side that doesn't. Want want to resolve this as quickly as possible listen to this according to vanini's story okay the three schools in question were hoping to negotiate some kind of additional fee to get out but they say cusa won't even have the conversation there you go that's it right there that's conference usa at its finest and uh yeah that, that's that's terrible steve don't get, give them some flexibility give them an option if they don't want to stay, get them out and make a little extra money. The money's terrible anyway in this league. Get what you can. I get the idea of the 14 teams and the stability and all that, but they're not happy. Nobody's really happy in this situation, and all this is going to do is waste time and money, and that's not something. you imagine if CUSA ends up losing in this whole thing, and instead of getting extra money that they could have had, they end up forfeiting everything and just letting the schools out when it's all said and done? Yeah, and think about the future. You're getting Liberty. You're Great getting point. Sam Houston State. You're getting New Mexico State in. Those schools right there might need help and assistance in league fees, and that could right. be the, the case early on with those programs as they establish you know going into something like conference USA as they get away from going from FCS in the case of you know Sam Houston State and going to FBS they might need that monetary relief right there and that's that has to be you know uh, taken into consideration uh, all I can tell you is it's, ter- it's a terrific article Vanini wrote if you subscribe to the athletic you should absolutely jump on it it's a good one and ultimately I mean what can I tell you I it's, it's hard to respect a league that is run the way this one is. It's difficult. It really is. It's no wonder everybody wants to get out of it. You understand why? A lot of the issues with Conference USA is their own doing. Yeah, I, I just wonder if at the top, if there's if it's been a, a long time coming for there to be changes up there, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, anyway, we will see what happens. Um, but it's it's a messy it's it's a messy divorce it really is, um, and as Vanini pointed out, the lawyers are the biggest winners because what's going to happen is the three schools are going to have their lawyers, CUSA is going to have their lawyers, they're all going to make money, something's going to come out of this, and even if CUSA wins, you're still going to have to pay your legal fees. I would be surprised if Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss are in Conference USA come the fall. I'd be surprised if they if they didn't win this one. Which is why. 
They have to have. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's CUSA. And you, you never never want to assume for this league. But you got to hope that since they went public with the 14-league uh, schedule, that they came up with another version with 11 schools. Even if it means getting rid of the conferences, putting everybody in just one 11, you know, grouping all the 11 together. But I hope to God this league had the foresight to come up with two versions so if they lose these three, they can immediately just give you the alternate schedule and not have to worry ultimately about delays and starting this all over again. That's huge for the schools because they have to plan out things like travel and they have to know where they're going for their schedule and kind of prepare in, it in advance. These coaches are working on scheduling all the time, so they need to know this as, as far in advance as possible. 39 passed. We'll get John Teicher's thoughts in a moment. Uh, I want to put him on the spot, see what he has to say about this. So we'll come back as our final countdown continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso.